It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Art Alexakis. He's singer, songwriter, and frontman for Everclear, performing at the M Resort Pavilion this Saturday, September 4th at 8 p.m. For Everclear ticket information, go to themresort.com. And for everything about Everclear, go to everclearmusic.com. And you can follow them on Twitter at Everclear Band, on Facebook at Everclear, and on YouTube and Apple Music. And Art, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ira. How are you doing today? Doing well. I don't know if anyone has ever asked you the question, but I will. Did you ever thank Ed Sullivan for inspiring you to become a rock performer? I never met Ed Sullivan. I think he passed away, but silently, yes. <laughs> I owe him a lot of gratitude for, for and, and as do just about, as does just about everybody that's ever been in a rock band. Since Beatles came to America, right? Exactly. For, for for our listeners who may not know, you actually saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show, and that really was what inspired you to begin your career in the world of music. Yeah, you know what's funny is I didn't I didn't see him the first time. I was too young. I was sixty three, right? Right. And but I saw him the last time, which I would believe was in sixty six, and they they played sixty five or sixty six. I was just a baby. I was like three three or four. I was, I was young and I snuck out of my bedroom and watched mine the couch as my parents were out there smoking, you know, having cocktails. You know, it was the 60s, right? Of course. And watching Ed Sullivan. And I just, when I saw the Beatles, I just literally lost my mind, just ran to the TV and just started jumping up and down. <laughs> I, I, I haven't stopped, I haven't stopped rock and roll just like, is my dream. I, I'm 59 years old and I get to play rock and roll for a living. It is what, amazing. What? Yeah, it is amazing. Did you ever get a chance to t- talk to any of the Beatles and tell them the impact they had on you? No, I never did. I've never met a Beatle. But you know, I, I mean, if, if if people had a chance to do that, that would be a line that stretched around the world a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, it just, and, and that's that's just the people being honest. There's plenty of people who just wouldn't be honest about it. And you know what? It's like I, I the, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, uh, Motown, all the rock and roll from here. It's just been an amazing transfer of music back and forth. And and people start um, are inspired by different things. And it's just been just to be a part of that. And just to have had some moderate success, you know, and be a part of the the alternative rock movement in the nineties, I am just so grateful, full of gratitude and and just recognize my blessings. And with everything else in my life, you know, that I've had, good and bad, I'm just so happy that for a living I get to play rock and roll. And that's what I've wanted to do since I saw the Beatles when I was four years old. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. It is. How did you decide to originally market the band as an alternative rock band, given the influences of the Beatles and others of that era? Well, 
to be fair, I mean, I think every rock band in the 90s that, that was called Alternative, we didn't call ourselves Alternative. You guys did. <laughs> got, I, 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 used to, I was so full of, I was honest about it. People go, so oh, what makes Alternative Alternative part? I, go, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know what's alternative about it. You, you want to go talk to Sonic Youth or bands like that? Yeah, I call them Alternative. Even the Pixies. But no, we're a rock band that's influenced by those bands, but we're also influenced by Zeppelin and Bruce Springsteen and the Beatles and the Stones. And I've always, that whole Beatles versus Stones thing, I've always thought was kind of BS, man. I just like, how can you not love both? If you love rock and roll, how can you not love both? Exactly. It's not an, it's not an either or proposition. It could be both. Absolutely. It's both. You know, it's great. They're, they're, they, they're, they were totally different in, 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 in the scheme of rock and roll. And they were best when they were different, not when the Stones were trying to be, be the Beatles or the Beatles were trying to be the Stones. You know, um, I, I, you know, I grew up on the tail end of that. Um, I'm 59. So, but I remember, I'm old enough to remember Beatles and the Stones still intact, still alive. Oh, yes. Still banned. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking about something the other day. You've talked publicly about your battle with multiple sclerosis, and there was a gentleman named Norman Cousins who, in the 60s and 70s, he was former editor of Saturday Review, and he was able to deal with pain. He had a degenerative disease, and he was able to deal with pain by watching a lot of comedies, and he wrote a book about it at the time. It was very popular. And I was curious as to when you're on stage performing or you're in the studio recording, does that help mitigate some of that distress? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I, I've never, read, I've heard about that book by, by, um, Norman Cousins. I've never read it. I'm think of what the name of it is, but it is a famous book, but I do, I love comedy. And I, I, and I think funny that you say that. I think when I'm in the middle of making music or in the middle of laughing, there's absolutely no pain in my body that I can think of, you know? Uh, not from this. Like if my back's thrown out, yeah, if I laugh too hard, my back will hurt, you know, but like anyone, especially as you start getting older. But, um, there's a lot that you're talking about there that really makes a lot of sense to me. And I don't, I mean, the only thing when I'm on stage running around, jumping up and down, I'm afraid I'm going to fall down because my balance is not good. You know, I, I tell, my brain tells my foot to go to a certain place, but then it kind of goes off and does its own thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the best way I could do it. I, I like the way you explained it. I'm not laughing at you, but I like it. I like the description. I'm laughing at the description because you're dealing with something, and yet you're, as you said, that's what you love to do. You love to perform and record, and you're doing what you're doing. And the, the book, by the way, with Norman Cousins' book was called Anatomy of an Illness by Norman Cousins. I, yep. I would recommend anybody get that book. And in your case, it's both it's both comedy and music. I think in Norman's case, it was just comedy. But clearly, when you're performing and you're in the moment, that's that's the essence of art, and that's the essence of Everclear. Absolutely. I mean, you know, my disease it is what it is. You know, I have good days, I have bad days. Uh, I'm uh, I change my medication 
uh, after COVID because uh, it it left a little um, it left a little damage. COVID did. My my MS got a little bit worse. Not 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 progressing, but but just you know I I need to ramp up my medication. So I'm in the middle of that right now. Which every day, like yesterday was a good day. Today is not such a good day. But I I won't know if the medication is going to work until about a month from now. So right, it's just, you know, it is what it is. Is it perfect? No. No. Am I blessed? Yeah. Yeah. I My life is life. Yeah, life is imperfect, and I, I appreciate even on the bad day that it's you're ta- that you're talking with us. So, oh, man, it's not that bad of a day. It's not as good as yesterday, and tomorrow might be worse. Tomorrow might be better. Part of the process. I'm retraining my brain with this medication. That's what I'm doing. Fascinating. And and it just it it manifests in different ways. It's weird, but you know, I am uh, I'm just glad that I have insurance. I'm glad that technology has options. 35 years ago, they just gave people um, with uh, MS and Parkinson's disease, and uh, they gave them uh, uh, just steroids. And right. just miserable. You know, I try to avoid steroids, but um, that's what they give you if you have an out, outbreak. And it's just like, I'm, I'm, I, I want to, I, you know, I try to get to the point where I just don't think about it. And when I'm on stage, I don't think about it. I just, you know, I don't think about pain. I don't think about, you know, spasms. I don't think about fatigue. I'm just right there. And I'm, everyone's telling me now I'm singing better than I have in years. And, uh, you know, I just work, you have to work at it. And, uh, but, uh, as long as I get to play rock and roll and I get to be there for my daughter, I took my daughter school shopping yesterday and, uh, you know, walking in a mall is not my favorite thing. Walking <laughs> is a little difficult for me. Exactly. You know, it's difficult for anyone as you get older, right? Right. But it's like, um, you know, just to be there. I, I'm never going to have these moments again. And because of the, my living, I, I, you know, what I do for a living, uh, when I'm home, I, I get to spend way more time than the average dad. You know, that has to work at eight to, you know, five, eight to five jobs, nine to five jobs. Sure. It's almost as if when you're on stage, you're present, but also, too, when you're with your daughter at the mall, you're present. And I think being present doesn't neglect the disease. It simply helps you adapt. That's a really good way to put it. And being present is something that's very, very big to me. You know, I'm, I'm very active in my my sobriety program. I, um, I probably go to meetings three to four times a week or more if I can online on zoom. And I, uh, I, I'm, I'm in therapy and I'm working to become a therapist, get my, uh, psychology degree in the next year and life coach people. And I just, I, I love the idea of what you're talking about of being pleasant and being able to focus on the now right now and all that other stuff, including the pain tends to subside um, significantly. So, um, and I just think being present, being focused, and being being full of gratitude is has just made my life incredibly better. 
And to be honest with you, I give a lot of that credit to my diagnosis of MS because it forces me to try harder, to work harder, and to appreciate what I have, not what I don't have. You're also, too, you're not distracted with little things that typical people would be distracted with because they don't have anything major to face. You mean the little things the little people have to deal with? No, the little things, <laughs> the, little, the little things that people have to deal with, meaning... Uh, <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I absolutely agree. People have to deal with pesky taxes. <laughs> you know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody or somebody has to wait a little longer in line to get something from the food store or whatever it happens to be, or they're waiting online to talk to somebody or whatever it happens to be, the annoying things of life that you, know, you can't get the door open immediately, so you have to work it a little bit. Those things fade in insignificance to what you cope with. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I still have to deal with those things. Oh, yeah. of course, sure, but you don't look at them as major stuff the way others do. That's my point. Oh no, yeah, yeah, that is a good. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the exception to the rule of being present and ignoring the pain is when you're talking to me. Cause that can always be painful to people. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're they're just not teasing you enough. Because all <laughs> True. I I always meant to ask you. You were a former Capitol Records A&R executive, right? Yes. So, yes and no. Okay. Well, let's say let's assume the yes part is correct. So, did you record yes. any any Everclear records at Capitol Records using oh, their studio? You mean at the studio? Yeah, at the studio. In, in studio A. Correct. I, I recorded. I never recorded records. Now you know Capitol Records doesn't own Capitol Studio. That I did not know. You don't even get a break. Wow. Uh, for, for, you don't even get a break for if you're an artist there. So that that went away in the 70s or the early 80s. But um, I, did, I did record a lot of... Uh, there's a song on uh, our fourth album, uh, Songs from American Movie Volume 1, that uh, has... It's called Annabella's Song, and it has all this, like, this beautiful orchestra... And I did it in there and sang in the booth, uh, the, the same booth that uh, Sinatra did, you know. So that was a big deal. And I've recorded a few things there, but usually strings or horns, or and I've mastered down in the studios as well. But um, I, uh, you know, I, I um, didn't really, you know, not a lot of bands record down there. It's very expensive. Yeah, I didn't realize it's, that. It's a great studio, but it's very expensive. It is. The one thing I heard about them was that when I, I got a tour of the studios, and it was great, but they said that they went digital, except that they had rock groups that wanted to perform or record what they called warm. So they wanted to record on tape and then eventually digitize it. Was that similar to what yeah, your experience was? Well, yeah, we were one of the first bands to do that back in the uh, mid to late 90s. Our, our album, uh, Afterglow, was we recorded all the tape and you want to record the I mean because the whole idea back then was that as as the, the transition from tape to digital was happening that when you when you record the tape you can hit it really really hard before it will start to distort and 
with digital, you can't because you you try to like you know using comp compressors and and just getting that that tape compression sound. You can't get that with digital. Now that was then. Now it's almost impossible to tell the difference. But you know, I if I ever recorded another record, I'd probably go in and record on like sixteen track, two inch, and and then move it over to digital to manipulate it. But we, that's what we did in, uh, back in 98, 97. Right. 96, 97. Yeah. That's but amazing. In and, and we did that actually again. Now that I think about it, we recorded two albums in 99 and 2000, Songs from American Movie Volume 1, Volume 2. Volume 2 was meant to be the heavier record, and we recorded that to tape at Sunset Sound, and then uh, you know, after getting tape compression, we, we moved it over to, uh, the digital world to Pro Tools. But to be honest with you, Ira, it just, the, the differences were, even, even then in 2000 was so minimal. I, I could play it for people, you know, A and B between people and, you know, between each sound and rarely would people do better than 50 50, which is yeah. nothing. So, um, and now the way they have the technology, you just, you can't tell the difference. You like being in the studio and, and being involved in the, the technical end as well as the creative end with writing and performing. You have all that together yeah. in one, one human being. Is it, yeah. are they evenly divided art or is it, you spend most of it on the writing and performing and not as much like 75, 25, 25 is involved with the technical end of to make sure you're recording the way you want to record? Well, I don't really know. I, I well, look when I'm I, I I'm not an engineer. I don't do that aspect of it. So, but I do all the writing and all the recording of my parts. And and as a producer, I I'd have to say my guiding light, my influence as far as producers go, would be Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page had the vision. He wanted, he knew what he wanted it to sound like. He knew what, he, what the artwork was going to look like. That's who I took, you know, that's who I kind of emulate. And it's just, you know, I, I utilize people like great um, mixers, great engineers, recorders, great artists, great photographers, but it's to pursue my vision. And their vision is part of it too. And that's part of collaboration is saying, okay, I want to get here. Let's see what what here is going to sound like by working with you, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's been one of the most fascinating, enriching things of, of my career is working with great people. That always helps. That always helps when you've got that kind of backup. No doubt about it. When you were starting, and I asked you earlier on about the influence of the Beatles and others, that's one thing. But now looking at it from the perspective of an adult. And all of your all of your success, are there still people or bands that influence you even today? I wouldn't say bands that influence me today, no. But you know, my fourteen year old, she's she's going to be fourteen in November. Um, she keeps me pretty grounded and turns me on to people. Um, she turned me on to this girl who's she she's really into her music right now, and I. I think she's pretty amazing. She's 17 years old. 
still made an amazing record. But I don't, I couldn't honestly say I've heard anything that influences me, you know. The reason I asked the question, Art, was because you you come across to me as someone who is always learning and is willing to learn. And, and I guess that's what, why I asked about that, whether there were some people that all of a sudden you saw and they influenced, maybe another writer or another performer that you saw something and you said, you know what, that might be an interesting way to adapt into my particular situation. Yeah, unfortunately, Ira, I, I, you know, ten, even 10 years ago, there, was, there were artists and writers and bands and stuff like that that influenced me. Now, I'd have to say it'd be writers like authors and filmmakers that give me new ideas and, and poets. I'm not, not, there's, not in the music industry. It's not, this is not a time of innovation in the, in the music industry right now. It, it seems like everybody's trying to sound like the person next to them, what, what they just did and emulating that. And, uh, like just to show you where this generation's head is at. I um I I wrote the curriculum for a uh, songwriting course at a small music college here in LA, and uh, my I wrote the curriculum in the first day of class. I had twenty young singer songwriters in there that uh you know I I'd gone through about five hundred takes to get these these twenty people, and they were just. You know, my first class in there, I'm asking, okay, let's get to know each other. Um, who's your favorite songwriter? And first girl stands up and goes, I'm really into people who can emulate not just writing for commercial. And my favorite songwriter is Katy Perry. <laughs> I'm like, you know, Katy's a great artist, but she's not really a songwriter. <laughs> she, uh, you know, that's not, right, right. that's not what we're talking about. I'm trying to be kind here. And, that, and, and there's someone else. Said Miley Cyrus or Beyonce or this and that, this and that, and I'm like, what about Stevie Wonder? And they're just looking at each other like, who? I'm like, oh my god, okay. And then I go, I'm calling class for today. Be in this room tomorrow, same time tomorrow. Went home, told my wife I was going to work all night, and I wrote a new curriculum that basically studied the evolution and the beginning of of songwriting and, uh, you know, back to the caveman days. Right. Exactly. And, uh, it was a, it was a great course. And I did that for like two or three years and then, uh, passed it on. And I just didn't have the time to do it. I had to go, I had to go make money by playing Everclear songs. Yes. Including father of mine in Santa Monica, which I'm sure you're going to be doing both at the M resort. And we mentioned Absolutely. this Saturday. September 4th. We're going to play all the heads. Which, yeah. is, which is great. I was impressed by what you said because you learned from people who are ignorant of musical history and yet you then adapted the curriculum to educate. Yeah, well, that's my job. That was my job at the time, you know. I, um... What I'm saying, Art, is that you didn't walk away from it. You actually went home and rewrote the curriculum to address oh. the issues at hand. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that has really contributed to Mino's band's success has been tenacity. That's one thing that people when talk people talk about success, they always leave that out. They talk about 
opportunity or talent and all those things were very important but tenacity and making yourself be available and open to other ideas and being able to be your own worst critic and your own biggest cheerleader all at the same time that's incredibly important and also important art is to have a sense of humor about yourself <laughs> which not everybody yeah. which not everybody has but then of course once you had a deal with MS starting in 2016 you realized you know it wouldn't hurt to have a sense of humor yeah I, I felt that way before it, it didn't take me MS to get there but <laughs> and if you deal with if you deal with people in the music industry yeah you're right uh, <laughs> many people take them too seriously actually the most creative people that you meet are they don't and uh, musicians are actually better than that than comics I think most of the famous comedians I've ever met and spent time with have been the most bad sack, depressed people that you've ever met in your life. But um, but they're funny. You know? <laughs> and that's, that's how they deal with the psychic pain, I think. Yeah, they go to Neurosis R Us and they always buy from that store, <laughs> it seems. Yep. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, your favorite Las Vegas experience. Hmm. Take your time. Think about it for a second. Well, I've done a lot. You know, I've spent a lot of time in Vegas. Had some great shows in Vegas. I think my favorite experience in Vegas was taking my daughter, who at the time that's my eldest daughter is twenty nine now. Um, when when the Beatles Love show started. I took her to that, and it was just magical. It was just magical. If she had grown up with the Beatles like me, and we were both like five-year-olds watching the Beatles for the first time, and uh, I thought it was done so well. And that, that's one time I can really remember. I also remember playing a show there in 98 at a theater that isn't there anymore. It looked like it was like a big auditorium at a school and an old, old theater. And there was a line going around the block, like two or three lines deep. And we played, and I told the promoter, uh, you know, we had an off day, like a week later. If you can, if you can go out to those people who are in line and get, you know, sell them tickets, I'll play a show. And the guy went out with a crew and like just talked to people and basically sold them tickets. For four days later, we came back and played a show, the, the exact same show, you know, with like people still going around the block trying to get tickets and get in. And that was one of those moments in my life where I was like, wow. I mean, it wasn't quintessential Las Vegas. It wasn't on the strip. It wasn't playing Mandalay Bay, which just reminded me of another time that was really important. But it was like, it was like the back streets of Vegas, and it was just really, really, just, the crowds were just sweaty and crazy, and just pure rock and roll, and um, I love that. Well, that's but, uh, a... Real quick. Yeah. Real quick, one story. Go ahead. So, yeah. Summerland, first year Summerland played Vegas uh, with uh, uh, Jim Blossoms and uh, uh, Mark McGrath and, 
and uh, all those bands lit, RC Playground, Sugar Ray, Matt Martin, with Mark. My daughter, who at the time was four going on five, and she was there with her mom next to the stage, and it was the stage out, you know, over the over the water there in the back. And, you know, I asked her if she wanted to come up on stage with me, and she said no. And then she started practicing introducing Sugar Ray, and she was, and she just took it on herself to do it. And then she came up to me right before I was about to go up there and introduce Sugar Ray, and she, she goes, Daddy, I can do it. And I took her up there, and and uh, just, you know, I walked on stage, little munchkin of a, of a child, and people are just going nuts. And I just, and I go, come on up next. And then I put it down to her mic, and she goes, and it, that, that was just the look on her face when the crowd just exploded was just, you can't buy that stuff, Ira. No, you cannot. Yeah, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Art Alexakis. He's singer, songwriter, and frontman for Everclear, performing at the M Resort Pavilion this Saturday, September 4th at 8 p.m. For Everclear ticket information, go to theemresort.com. And for everything about Everclear, go to everclearmusic.com and follow them on Twitter at EverclearBand on Facebook at Everclear, and on YouTube and Apple Music. And Art, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Ira. Look forward to being there. Thanks. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Happy.